Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. I'm going to be in the book of Acts chapter 12 is where I'm going to be, Acts chapter 12. As you're getting there, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever heard the term inflection point? Anybody ever hear that term? Raise your hand. A few of you. So uh, I'm going to talk about inflection points today, which means we have to get a, a sort of a basis, a foundation of a definition to know where we're headed. Here's the definition from the dictionary. A moment when significant change occurs or may occur. That's an inflection point. The reason they call it an inflection point is when these changes occur, then we have decisions to make. And those decisions and inflection points can impact the trajectory of our life. So in my own life, inflection point examples. When I graduated college, had an inflection point. What was I going to do? I can remember uh, when my wife and I found out that we were pregnant three times, right? That's an inflection point. The things that we did when we didn't have kids weren't going to translate very well when we had kids, and so there was an inflection point. Tons of decisions had to be made. I can remember years ago, I I was driving, I was not at the vineyard, but I was driving to an office we had where I was working in Elkhart, and uh, I was speeding, Anybody speed to church this morning? Oh, good. <laughs> nice. Uh, so I was speeding, and uh, as I was going, do you know how I knew I was speeding? I got pulled over. <laughs> and as I was being pulled over, and I was slowing down, I, it occurred to me, because I was a procrastinator back then, worse than I am today, it occurred to me that I had not renewed my license plates. Yeah, oh, (laughs) yeah. And so the nice uh, officer explained to me how expensive that situation was going to be, and it was an inflection point in my life that I had to decide not to be a procrastinator because it was costing me money, right? It was a time time that I had to decide to change. Everyone, I would argue, everyone has these inflection points in their life. As I've interacted with people around the church the last 30 days, here's some inflection points that I've heard. Someone's spouse died this week. That's an inflection point. They're struggling with what they're going to do now. Uh, Two weeks ago, I heard about a, a spouse leaving and now wanting a divorce. That's an inflection point. Someone got a call two weeks ago from their oncologist, their cancer doctor. That cancer had come back, and now they're at this inflection point. Do they continue with treatment, or do they just stop treatment altogether? I spoke to a, a person that's their senior year in college. I talked to them yesterday morning, and they so desperately wanted to go on a mission trip at college, and they've been trying for a few years, but because of COVID, they can't, and now they've got this decision to make, like, now what? I would argue that in the last two years, at least for me, I don't know if this is for you, but I've had more points of decision, more forks in the road, more inflection points that have been thrown at me because of troubles in the world that I've had to decide, okay, now what am I going to do? 
Does anybody think that this is going to slow down? Let me ask that one more time. Is there anybody in the room or listening that thinks that in the world that we live in today, the amount of trouble and change and inflection points are going to slow down? I don't think they are. Jesus warns us of this in Scripture. He, he says this in John 16, In this world you will have trouble. And boy, do we. This is not foreign in Scripture. You can read the totality of the Bible and just find inflection point, challenge, fork in the road after fork in the road. A couple of examples. Joshua was a great leader in the Old Testament before Jesus. He had led the Israelites to a land that God had promised them. He led them to the promised land, did amazing things. It was the end of his life. And he's starting to hear about arguments in the Israelites. There's some battles going on, and he's got like one shot to impart some really good wisdom. And he says this in Joshua 24, 15, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day who you will serve. He goes on and he says this, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's an anchor point. That's the middle of an inflection point. And he says, you know what? I don't care what's going on. I'm going to drop an anchor. In my household, we're going to follow the Lord. If we think of Jesus and his account, people are following him. They're, they're learning from him. They're calling themselves disciples. Things are going fairly well, but all of a sudden, Jesus starts teaching some hard things. Not easy, really challenging things, which brings folks to this inflection point. What are we going to do? Are we going to follow those hard things? Are we actually going to do this stuff? And in John 6, 66, this is what it says. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him a decision point. What are we going to do? It's hard. So it's really not if we have inflection points or if we're going to have some in the future. It's actually how we respond to them that points us in the right path in God's will or another way. So here's a question. The question I'm asking myself, I want to ask all of us, how prepared am I for my next inflection point? If you don't like that question or the inflection point, here's another way to put it. How prepared am I for my next big challenge? We will have challenges. It's okay, young one. Jesus is still good. But we will have challenges in our life. How prepared are you? How prepared am I for the next one? As you consider that question, I want to remind you that we're in this series called Audacity, Bold Acts of the Early Church. And I get the honor of closing this series out today. And the way I want to close this out, because if I'm honest with myself, and if I'm honest with with you all and the stories that I'm hearing, I'm not sure that in the last 24 months that I have or we have navigated all of our inflection points really well. Like, there have been decisions that are tearing people and communities and friends and family apart. 
And I wonder, my, my deep desire today is to try to share an account in the book of Acts that would make us more well-prepared to be in the center of God's will when the next thing happens, maybe four hours from now. I want us to be more confident that we will be in God's will. And so I want to do that by reading an account in the book of Acts, chapter 12, I'm going to read a few verses, but the background, just a quick background, the disciples are uh, doing well at sharing who Jesus is. The church is growing. There's some level of excitement going on, but in Acts chapter 12, something happens. It says this, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. That's bad. Intending to persecute them, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. That's really bad. When he saw that this met with approval from the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting them, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. It's a great account. You should read the rest of it today. What happens is Peter actually gets freed from prison. Gets through the guard, shackles fall off. The city gate actually owns, uh, uh, opens up miraculously. And it's like Peter's in this stupor. Like, what now? And we find him in verse 12. He says, when this had dawned on him, what had happened, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. In this account that I just read, this account, I have learned two things that are, that's impacting my life where I think I'm trying to be more prepared for the next inflection point. And I want to share those with you, but before I do, let me pray. So Father, we thank you for your word, that it is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago, that it is clear. And so God, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you open up our hearts and our minds and our ears to your word, to your message today. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A couple things on your program you can fill out if you're here on site. The first one is this. This is what I see. A bold response to significant change includes resisting isolation. Boy, that's a trigger word nowadays, isn't it? Resisting isolation. I want to go back to this account in Acts chapter 12, just to paint the picture a little more clearly. The church is growing, things are going seemingly well, and a king steps in, doesn't like what's happening, and so he kills James, one of the disciples. That's bad. The religious leaders of the time agree. This is a good thing. You should continue to do this, king. And the king goes and arrests Peter. Now, if you don't know who Peter is, Jesus told Peter that the church, that he would be an important, critical part of the growth of the church. And Herod throws Peter into prison. 
likely the same thing's going to happen to Peter. He's going to die. Can you just imagine that as a church if that happened today? Where leaders of the church would be killed or thrown into prison and what our response would be. Would we, would we run back to our own houses? Would we go to video? Would we, like, what would we do in that circumstance? Look at Acts 12.5. So Peter was in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. But the church. Everybody say, but the church. One more time. But the church. What was the church doing? Before they were praying, they did something. They came together. How do we know this? When Peter gets out of prison, Acts 12, 12, Peter went to the house of Mary, mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered. They had gathered to pray. They did not scatter. At times of adversity, when we scatter and when we isolate, bad things happen. We're not at our best on our own when inflection points enter our lives. Let me give you a couple of examples in Scripture just to make this point. David, many of you know uh, maybe some of the story of David. Great king, ruler, like he was all in for God. There was a point in time where he isolated himself that was not great. Look at this, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war. War is not great. It's a, it's a time of tension, decisions, inflection points. At this time, David sent Joab out with the king's men, the whole Israelite army. They destroyed a couple of people. But David remained in Jerusalem. He isolated himself. If you know this account, David ended up committing adultery and was a key player in killing someone that was involved. Like, it was terrible. Another account, Elijah, another great leader in the Old Testament, did great things. The hand of God was on this guy. Like, he did amazing things. But all of a sudden, we find him in Scripture. He's being chased by two people. He's being chased by Jezebel and her husband, Ahab. And we find Elijah being afraid. It says this in 1 Kings. Elijah was afraid, ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Now he's alone. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. In isolation, we can think the absolute worst thoughts about ourselves. We open ourselves to the enemy whispering lies, and we start believing those worst things about ourselves. Judas, one of the 12 disciples, followed Jesus very closely, sold him out in isolation, went by himself, sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. If Judas would have just taken another disciple, and the other disciple, I'm sure, would have said, dude, what are you doing? Do you not know this is Jesus, the one that was promised, the Messiah? What are you doing? But Judas, in isolation, sells him out, ends up committing suicide. It's tragedy. Isolation leads us to unhealthy places. If I bring it in the room, in the community, 
I don't know if you saw this in the newspaper, in the South Bend Tribune. There was a picture, I'm going to show you, don't bring it up yet, but a picture of uh, 83 pairs of shoes on the county courthouse. Did anybody see this picture? 83 pairs of shoes of people who overdosed and died in 2020. It was a record in 2020 of the people who have died in overdoses in the county. Here's a picture and what the paper said. It says, experts say the effects of the pandemic have driven the surge in overdoses by creating social isolation, worsening mental health problems, and hindering the treatment for people with addictions. Those are 83 people who had a lifelong story of something. They hit a trajectory. They they hit an inflection point, and their life is no longer here. In 2021, we're on a record to beat 83. And those are just the people who passed away. There's countless others in the county who are struggling in isolation and making choices that are not great for their lives. Just for clarity, I know know I'm beating this up a bit, but just for clarity, it is not God's plan for us to be in isolation. Proverbs 18.1. If you have anybody that you know is in isolation, this is a great verse. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. That's bad. Here's another one. Genesis 2.18. God creates man. The first thing he says is it's not good for the man to be alone. Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how we might spur one another on. That's really hard to do if it's just you. Not giving up meeting together, encouraging one another. God does not call us or desire us to be alone. You can write this in on your program. We say this a lot at the church, but I want us to deeply believe it. As followers of Jesus, we are better together. As followers of Jesus, we are better together. I was part of a home group before I came to the vineyard uh, eight, nine years ago. And this home group had been uh, together for many years. We, we were deeply involved with one another. Uh, and it was late at night, one night, I got a text message that one family had a tragedy. We didn't get the details, but wanted prayer right away. And so we started praying. The next day I found out that this family, it was one of my best friends and his three girls and his wife were on vacation out west and he tragically died in an accident in front of his family. One of the saddest stories, it still pulls on me, one of the saddest stories I've ever heard. Like you, it's unimaginable what happened. But the church... But the church, when those girls came back, the church that they were a part of circled around them, the home group that, they, that we were a part of circled around them, and now eight years later, what we find is those three girls and that woman that was part of that tragedy, those three girls are thriving. One's in graduate school, one's about ready to be married, and one's in college, and they're doing amazing because of the church. We are better together. So here's a question I'm asking myself. I deeply want us all to ponder. The question is this, at my most challenging moments, do I scatter or do I gather? 
In our most challenging moments, do we scatter or gather? Can I clarify something? There are probably people listening that at challenging moments, you have people around you, but you are emotionally isolated. You may not be in a closet by yourself, but mentally you're in a closet by yourself. And today, in this message, I think the Lord is saying, stop it. You are better in a community of believers that can build you up and set you on a trajectory when trouble comes. As an encouragement, it's groups weekend. There's a hundred open spots in groups. There's no excuse to be isolated after you hear this message and have this opportunity today. So if you don't have a group, go to the chapel after service. Get in a group. It helps. It's what the church did when Peter was in prison. They had a bold response to a significant change, and it included resisting isolation. The other thing I see, I I really want to go deep in this. A bold response to significant change includes earnestly praying. Earnestly praying. The church came together, and look what it did. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for him. Say earnestly. I believe that every word in Scripture is important, and when we look at that word earnestly, it has so much depth. When I looked at the original language, it's actually a compound word, and it means to stretch out. There's action, not just a little bit of action, but there's actually tension. There's perseverance. It's ongoing. It's not ending. It's as though what we're supposed to do in earnest prayer is reach up and grab the very things that God has and try to pull them down into earth with the situation going on. That's what earnest prayer is. You ever prayed earnestly? Let me give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, I was sick. I was not at church. It was not COVID. But about 2 o'clock in the morning, I woke up, and I was like, oh, this is going to be bad. I started to dry heave. How many of you really like dry heaving? <laughs> no one, right? Because it's terrible. So uh, I start dry heaving. I'm like, okay, this is not going to be good. I was fine after a couple minutes, but about 20, 30 minutes later, I started again, and I started earnestly praying. Oh, God, stop. Oh, God. Right? That's earnest prayer. Do you get it? It's where we find the church when James is killed and Peter's in prison. They're up all night. They're earnestly praying. I want to go deeper in that word earnestly. Are you okay to go a little deep today? Buckle up. That word earnestly, the way the writer of Acts uses it, is only used one other time in Scripture. And when when that happens, it's like we should really pay attention. The time it's used is when Jesus is with his disciples, and he's at this place called the Mount of Olives, Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying because he knows that he's going to hang on a cross. He knows it's going to be bad, and so look what we find him doing. Luke uh, 22, it says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. His disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to him, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Pause. He's begging his disciples, will you pray? Just pray. If you read other accounts, what happens is the disciples may start praying, but they fall asleep multiple times. 
There's no indication that they are earnestly praying. And so Jesus picks this up and says, withdrew to a stone's throw behind them, knelt and prayed. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Earnest prayer costs us something. It costs Jesus like he's bleeding, he's sweating. There's depth in that. I want to contrast these two accounts uh, of the church earnestly praying for Peter and Jesus earnestly praying while his disciples are sleeping. Because I think this could, uh, my hope, God help this, my hope is that we get it, that there are people in this room that grasp on that earnest prayer is worth it. Here's what I see. You can write this down. Earnest prayer provides rest. That is a weird way to put it, but I firmly believe this. And the reason I believe it, look at this. Acts 12, 6. The night before Herod was to bring Peter to trial, what do we find Peter doing? Peter was sleeping. You're in the middle of 16 guards, shackled twice. You will likely be killed, yet we find Peter sleeping. Why is he sleeping? Because the church is earnestly praying, and they're providing a spiritual platform for Peter to actually get some rest. Contrast that earlier with the account of Jesus and his disciples. Jesus comes to him multiple times. Guys, will you pray? Will you just pray, earnestly pray, and they do not? And what we find Jesus doing is he gets no rest, and he has to carry that himself. At our greatest times of challenge, you know what would give us rest? Earnest prayer. If you have friends or family, and they have an inflection point in their life, they've got struggles and challenges, they do not need your opinion. They do not need a social media video sent to their mailbox. They don't need scientific studies that you found on the Googler. You know what they need? They need earnest prayer to give them rest. Earnest prayer provides rest. The other thing I see with earnest prayer, you can write this in, it provides God's resources. The church comes together because Peter's in prison. If the church does not earnestly pray, they've got to do one of two things. One, they've either got to hear Peter dying, they have to hear that account, or if they're not praying and they, they want to help Peter, they have to figure out how to sneak into the jail, bust off two shackles, sneak through 16 guards, walk through the city without being found, raise a gate at the city wall that would be noisy. They would be left to their own desires. I don't know about you, but the last two years and the challenges in front of me, I don't have enough emotional strength and stamina to get through it on my own. I desperately need Jesus. We should be crying out, God, everything you have in heaven, would you please bring it down to the challenges of today? We can't do it on our own. If we think about this, this is, this is as if 
God has all of the ingredients for any challenge that we would face available to us. He broke Peter from prison. He knows how to get through any unsolvable puzzle. It's not unsolvable for Jesus. He knows how to fix relationships. He knows how to cure diseases. And as I look at my own life and I hear the stories of those around me, I desperately want us to grab a hold of this opportunity. There's a pastor about 100 years ago. His name was F.B. Meyer. He says this, the greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer. It's unoffered prayer. That's the greatest tragedy of life when we see struggles in front of us and we're not willing to take the time to pull down the ingredients that God has for the solutions that we need. So here's a question. Where do I need to stretch in prayer? It's a really good question. A bold response to significant change includes resisting isolation and earnestly praying. Why don't you stand? We're going to move into a time of prayer. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.